0: We're talking about prayer today, meeting them in the garden, and going to to the Lord in prayer. Prayer is a a strong focus in the Gospel of Luke. Luke touches on it quite a bit, and it's something I've wanted to be looking at uh, this coming year, so I was glad to to have this opportunity as we look at uh, prayer in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, is where we're going to be today. So we were in chapter 8 last time, so we're jumping ahead quite a bit. Uh, Luke's is, in, in chapter 11, Luke is beginning a, a new focus, or a, a, a he's moving on. It doesn't connect with what went before, is I guess what I'm trying to say. And we're going to step into an idea of prayer, and specifically, what is Christian prayer? How are we, as believers, to be praying? How should we be praying? And I say that because, as we're going to see here in a few minutes, when the disciples come and ask him, they're asking him to teach them how to pray like, John's, like John taught his disciples to pray. And the idea is, is that there would be specific prayers or a type of way of praying that a rabbi would teach his disciples that, that would mark them even as this is who they are. And to a certain extent, we have that today. When I'm with friends who are orthodox, a lot of times when they say, let's, let's recite the Lord's Prayer, they start singing, because they sing Scripture. They don't read it like we do. The, uh, when you go to their church services, the way they uh, read Scripture is with a kind of a singing format. And the idea is that they are not able to then inject their own stuff into that text. You know, when I read, if I read it dramatically, I can inject my own thoughts, my own emotions into the text. And if you're singing it the way Orthodox people sing it, it's kind of like a chant. Your emotions really can't get into it. But it can be a little bit off-putting. You know, you get together for dinner and your friends say, let's all say the Lord's Prayer is a prayer. And you're like, okay. And I start doing the, the prayer that I learned as a high school student in football. You know, I think I'd, I knew it prior to that, but for some reason, uh, back in the 80s and 90s, even in secular schools, football teams would still pray, at least the ones I was involved in. And we'd all get around, we'd hold hands, and we'd say the Lord's Prayer. Even though most of those guys, I am pretty sure, didn't have a thing to do with the Lord, on that football field, you were praying the Lord's Prayer. And so I'm ready to start reciting what is not even in Scripture, necessarily. It's just what was repeated in Mass over years. And the friends start going with their little song thing, and it can be a little, whoa, I, I don't know what to do with this. you know. Or Catholic uh, family. You know, get together with some Catholic people and they pray. They have a specific prayer for dinner that I'm not familiar with. And so the same thing happened back then that you'd have different groups would have different prayers, and I would say probably you, you, other people can tell we're a certain type of people based on the way we pray. You know, if you go to a, an Anglican church, their church service is going to have certain prayers: Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Lutheran. A lot of prayers are written down; they're just recited, they're read. They're you know and they'll even say, "Oh, this is so and so's prayer that he wrote 200, 300, 500 years ago." Well, we mark ourselves by our prayer and the fact that we don't recite or read, we, in our view, pray from the heart. Pray from what's going on right now. Pray from having a conversation with the Lord. And and so we're looking at Christian prayer and the idea that when Jesus told His disciples what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, He was teaching them a way to pray that would mark them as His disciples. They were teaching Him to pray the way that Christians should pray. So uh, let's go ahead and look at it, and and we're going to look at Jesus' prayer that he taught his disciples, and then we're going to look at what he says based on that and what he wants us to do to apply it to our lives, which comes in verses 5 through 13. But we begin in in chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, Luke tells us it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And so he's specifically saying, you know, not just, Lord, we don't know how to talk to God, but teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. Teach us a specific prayer, teach us to pray in your way. Chances are, as, as men who have, you know, four of them were fishermen, one's a tax collector. They probably weren't that used to praying a whole lot other than if the catch was getting low. But here they've been with Jesus, the Son of God, who has regular, faithful conversations with His Father. He often goes away by Himself. And it's at a time when He is often away with His disciples, but kind of by Himself. And He is praying, and they're watching Him pray. And they're seeing Him pray, and they've seen Him going off and praying. You can imagine that they probably sense a a difference in Jesus' relationship with God, His prayers, and what they grew up hearing in the synagogues and what they have done themselves. And so they would like to know how to pray and they want Him to teach them specifically how to pray just like John taught his disciples. And so in verse 2, He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Now, if you're depending on the translation you're using, I might have skipped over some things. Because your translation included them and mine doesn't. And the reason for that is you might have noticed that doesn't sound like any Uh, Lord's Prayer that you've probably said in church or in a group, right? Definitely wasn't the one said at the football practices that I had. Because almost always we take the Lord's Prayer from the Gospel of Matthew. And the Gospel of Matthew has a much broader Lord's Prayer. And so sometimes what happened was, because people wanted to make sure that Matthew and Luke were in agreement, some scribes would take things from Matthew and add them to Luke which is why some translations have your kingdom come, your will be done. It was in Matthew. It wasn't in Luke. Luke left it out. And some people felt like, no, that was wrong of Luke. We're going to cram it back in there. Same thing happens with lead us not to temptation. It feels very abrupt ending. And yet, that's what Luke included. Luke had certain reasons for what he wrote, for what he included, he did not feel the need to use everything that Matthew used. He was focused on specific things, and and so uh, his prayer is very short, comparatively. But what is his what is his focus? What does he think Christian prayer uh, should be based on, or 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 looking towards? And the same is true in Matthew's, but it becomes very clear as we look at uh, the Lord's Prayer given through the Gospel of Luke, that Christian prayer is based on God's glory. That as we pray, our prayer should be based on God's glory. And one of the reasons why I say specifically Christian prayer is if later on in, in, in the Gospel of Luke, there's a story of the Jesus has the parable of the uh publican and the tax collector, or the Pharisee and the tax collector, excuse me. And and the the Pharisee is going on about, Lord, I thank you that I am a man. I thank you that I'm not a sinner. I thank you that I am greater than all these other people. And then the tax collector is like, have mercy on me. And we see that and we can think maybe that Pharisee is a bit of an exaggeration, but he wasn't. There are actually Jewish prayers from Jesus' time Lord, I thank you that I I am a Jew and not a Gentile. I thank you that I am a man and not a woman. There was a a view of, I mean, honestly, women were viewed so lowly by the religious leaders. Thank you, God, that I have had the grace to have been born a man and not a woman. I am that much closer to you. But uh, notice what it is. The focus is on me, me, me. And a lot of times, prayer can be focused on me. Some people do it by, Lord, I thank You that I am so great, like the Pharisee in the parable. Lord, I thank You that I am American and not one of those other people. I thank You, Lord, that I was born uh, and, and raised a Christian and not a heathen. Lord, I thank You that I am so gosh darn pretty. I mean, it's all me, me, me. And and what Jesus does is He begins it with, Father, hallowed be Your name. And, And that word hallowed means that it would be consecrated. That it would be made holy. Now, God's name does not need to be made holy. God's name does not need to be consecrated. It already is. So what Jesus is saying for us in this is that our prayer would be that God would be glorified that God would be honored, that His name would be treated with reverence. And in a certain way, even when we misuse God's name, we declare its reverence and its righteousness. Because quite frankly, it is not a sin to take my name in vain. It's not a sin to take Buddha's name in vain. Have you noticed not a whole lot of people walking around using... Uh, Allah or Buddha or Harry, you know, fill in the blank, whichever one of the many uh, Hindu gods. Nobody stubs their toe and says, oh, Krishna. Although you might think about trying that because you could sidestep the one you want to say. But what do people say? GD, JC. All these things, and when we misuse God... And that's not exactly what the Ten Commandments was talking about, about taking His name in vain. But the fact that we use God's name as a curse elevates and just says, that is how much God is God. Because in our base sin, we misuse His name. The same is true. Why uh, prayer? People don't want to hear you talking about Jesus in the public sphere. They don't mind references, even necessarily, to God, and and you can you can base all sorts of decisions uh, on Islamic faith or Buddhism or Hinduism. Nobody in America has a problem with that. But why is the Christian or the Jewish view of God, and specifically? Jesus, invoking Jesus. Why is that such a non sequitur? It stops everything. Because of all the gods out there, He is the true one. Nobody is getting upset if you misuse Santa Claus's name. But Jesus, He is truth. He is real. And, and so He is telling us, that our prayers, and I got off on a little rabbit's trail there, I'm sorry, but our prayers are to be focused on and um, based on God's glory. Because He deserves it, He earns it, and He is worthy of it. And so our prayer, not focused on ourselves, but on God. So yeah, hallowed be thy name, or be your name. He doesn't need to be consecrated, but... The prayer is that we would honor Him, that that we would and that the world would. It's a general request. Next to it, right after, is your kingdom come. It's the prayer that God's way of doing things, that His world, that what He is establishing would happen. Now Jesus, when He said this, had already shown up and said, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe, but it's... And and, and so in a certain sense, we can say God's kingdom is here. It is living within us. But then there is also the hope and the dream that it will come, that it will be fulfilled. But part of this is just a constant desire that we would desire God's world, not our world. That we would desire God's ways, not our ways. So when we we pray, your kingdom come, what we are saying is, is, I want to live based on your glory, your righteousness, your kingdom, not mine, not the way the world works. It's a desire for a different kingdom than what we currently have. So both of these in verse 2 is a focus on God's glory. It's based on what would be honoring Him and what is glorifying to Him. And I would say for us in our prayer, consider your prayer life and the things, that and and not, not really necessarily at this point the things you pray for, but how you pray. And what your motivation is in, in praying. Are you motivated to pray for God's glory or for your benefit? Do we, would we come to pray to God and, and, and desire His things? Or are we coming to God and looking to Him to provide for us? Now, the bulk of the prayer is about God providing. But there's a, there's a great difference between looking to God as a giver of things and looking to God as the one, the source, the hope that we have. A, a lot of uh, believers out there, I, I use the word loosely, they view Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit as, as a means to an end. I, I, I'm going to worship God because I want this. And, and, and it might even be, it doesn't have to be material possessions. It can even be uh, salvation or eternal life and going to heaven. You know, I remember as a kid the, the, the dread of destruction and hell versus going to heaven. And so my motivation for believing in God was to escape hell and to get into heaven. And that doesn't sound bad, does it? But the motivation was not God. He was just the transaction. And that's not what He wants. He wants to be the motivation. He wants to be the focus. That I would want to have God, and if I have God, if I believe in Jesus, well, then all those other things come with it. But He is supposed to be the end-all, be-all. So we focus on Him that his, His name would be hallowed and that His kingdom would come. As we, as we do that, now, I, like I said, the rest of the, this prayer is about God's provision. But again, it's not give me, give me, give me. I, I, as we look at it, we're going to see that Christian prayer uh, isn't just asking God to provide things. Christian prayer looks for God to intervene in our lives. Christian prayer looks for God to intervene in our lives now intervene is a is a word from the Latin it means to come between it comes from inter which is between and being which is you know to come into so to intervene in our lives is to come between and so this is really important when we ask God for things it is not God give me give me give me but Lord I have a problem. That problem is outside of me. I need you to come in between me and my problem. Notice, that's going to be the focus of all this. First, in verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. Now, this is a little bit different than Matthew's because here it's not just give us today our daily bread. Give us each day. It's a focus on every day I need God's provision. And the question of daily bread, what is that? Is that just enough bread for the day? Is that the bread that I need? And, and, and the general understanding there for daily is that it is that which is fitting. The, the word doesn't actually mean like on a daily basis kind of thing. It's the idea of what is fitting for the moment is what we are translating as daily bread. So it is the bread, it's the sustenance that is necessary and fitting for the moment. And so, for instance, uh, in, a, in a person like um, George Mueller, who was a, a minister in England in the 1800s, some days he, and he, he took care of orphans. And, and uh, there would be a day when they would all sit down at the table and there was no food in the, in the house. There was no food on the plates. And he would pray and thank God for the food that they were about to eat. And when he said amen, there was a knock on the door, and the baker had been up since 2 a.m., said, I just couldn't sleep. I felt like I needed to make you bread. God just put it on my heart. And so they had bread for the day. And then there was another knock on the door, and the milkman, his wagon had broken down. He had to get the milk off of his wagon so he could fix the wagon. Would you be able to use some milk? And so they had milk for the day. And that was the daily Bread that they needed for that day, but there were other times like when George Mueller decided that he really needed uh, the neighbors. They had these houses like three houses on a, on a street of six were orphan and orphanages. You imagine just think and when we talk about British houses, you got to realize that's like a row like it's one building and they're all attached to each other. You imagine you're living there and all of a sudden you got 20 kids living next door to you and then another 20 kids live in two houses down? And oh, by the way, the houses weren't built for that many people, and everybody is on the same sewage system in the 1800s. Things back up on a regular basis. And so finally, one of these men contacted, one of the neighbors of these orphan houses contacted George Mueller. And George was so excited. He's like, oh, he's going to offer me to rent another building. I need more space for the orphans that keep wanting to come. And the guy said, it is awful living next to you. It is horrendous. You would not want to live next to your orphanages. And, and George looked at the situation. He said, you know, he wasn't too kind in the way he said it, but he was right we're not being good neighbors. And so he started praying that, you know, would God have him build an orphanage. And he prayed for it and he realized it would take like 10,000 pounds to build this thing. Now mind you, some days they didn't even have food. They'd have to pray for the food and it would show up. And so when when 1,000 pounds would come in for the building of a new orphanage, you know, it was tempting sometimes to want to take just just 20 pounds, buy some food. Just five pounds, get some of this. But no, because that 1,000 pounds was the daily bread for the orphanage. And God will provide the daily bread for the table in another way. And so He would raise thousands of pounds to do building projects, and that was daily bread as well. Because it is what was fitting for the moment. It was what was necessary for that day. And that's the idea. That what, when we are asking God, give each day our daily bread, what is fitting for that day? It may be that your daily bread for today is just five bucks. It may be on another day, your daily bread might be thousands of dollars needed. What is fitting for that day? It's a desire that God would provide what we need as we need it. That is the the desire there. Give us each day our daily bread. I am in need. I need to eat. Intervene. Intercede on my behalf. The next one in verse 4, and forgive us our sins. We have sinned against God. And this isn't a a, a new person coming to faith in Jesus kind of forgiveness. We could attach it to the give us each day. Every day, each day, we need to go to God and ask for forgiveness. We need His forgiveness for our sins. Forgive us our sins. We need Him to intervene on our behalf between us and Him. Forgive me for my sins. And then Jesus adds, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now that's not a cause and effect. It isn't because... I forgive that God will forgive me. What we do see in, in in Luke through prayer and this idea of forgiveness is that as God forgives us, we should forgive others. As God has forgiven us, if we are truly forgiven, we're going to forgive others. And so the idea is forgive us our sins, for we also, or if we ourselves also forgive everyone. Not just a few people. Not just the ones I like. Not just the ones that are easy. We forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Because that's what God has done for us. He has forgiven us. And not just some of us. Not just the good ones. But oftentimes the worst of us. He has forgiven us. Finally, he says, and lead us not into temptation. Again, the the need that God would intervene in our lives to keep us from things and areas of temptation. That word lead is is literally to carry in. And, And so it's kind of weird because God doesn't tempt us. He doesn't lead us into sin. He doesn't desire for us to sin. So why would we pray, lead us not into temptation"? Well, I think there's lots going on there. Part of of it is a a poetic sense, just like where Jesus says, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. We know that's not true. He knew that's not true when He said it. But it's the goal. It's the desire. It's the heart of where we should be. And so lead us not to temptation. It's not saying, God, unless I ask You to, You're just going to carry me into temptation. No, it's, it's, we could infer from it the, the contradiction, which is lead us away. Carry us from it. Keep us from temptation. But carry us not into it. Keep us from it. Keep me from going into those things and into those ways. There's an acknowledgement that without God's intervention, I'm going to get into temptation. Every part of this puts the the focus on god just as as we begin and by basing our prayer on god's glory we need to our prayer should look to god for his intervention and so that's and i think if we employ that in our lives just think of how how differently we would pray if if my prayer for things in my life, I've got struggles, I've got this difficulty, that difficulty, that relationship problem, if I'm seeking my benefit, if I'm seeking my will, that's completely different than if I've got say a relationship that's gone sour, that's got some ugliness into it, praying to God for that relationship, God first, would you be glorified in this situation? And secondly, God, would you intervene? to make this healthy again. Not, Lord, would You make this person see My my way. Not, Lord, would You make sure that I get My way. But Lord, intervene that You might be glorified. And think of the things that we want. The things that we desire. You know, Jesus doesn't want us to look at God as some cosmic uh, spiritual Santa Claus giving us our wishes. But that we would come to him with our true needs, praying that the things that we would desire. And, and he is the one who gives all good gifts. But a good question is, is does this glorify God? Is it, is it good to seek those things that don't glorify God? I don't think so. Does this glorify God? And how can he intervene? in this situation, in this need, in this desire for my life. Now, there's an interesting thing where in in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's uh, uh, Lord's Prayer has the same idea, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive those indebted to us. And then when he's done with the prayer, he actually reinforces that idea of if we don't forgive others, God will not forgive us. But Luke, he moves to a different focus. He, he, he wants us to understand that our prayer should be based on God's glory and that we should be looking to God for intervention in our lives. But then he, he, he focuses on and, and wants to encourage us uh, and, and so shares with us what Jesus said to his disciples, that Jesus encourages us to be persistent in prayer. That that as we are praying for God to intervene, as we are seeking his glory, Jesus encourages us to be persistent in prayer. He, he having shared this information, and that was four verses, that first bit, and the the, the the prayer really is just three verses. And then from five through thirteen, he wants us to focus on being persistent and seeking God and not letting go. He tells them in verse five. He said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. This person has a need and is going to their friend asking for intervention. Come between me and the shame of being a bad host. Provide for me some loaves so I can feed my friend because I don't have anything. He is asking for help with a need. And he's asking the friend to intervene. But what happens when in verse 7, from inside he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. It is too much of a bother for me to get up. My door is shut. I'm in bed. My kids are in bed. Leave me alone. Sounds like it's your problem, not my problem. I can't give you anything. Jesus tells us in verse 8, He says, I tell you, even though He will not get up and give him anything because He is His friend, He's not going to go that far for His friend. Yet because of His persistence, He will get up and give him as much as He needs. The first answer is, is no, the door's shut. In bed. Feet are clean. Kids are in bed. Can't get up. Can't give you anything. But as that friend keeps knocking and imploring him, come and help me. I just need three loaves. Just give me three loaves. I need three loaves for this visitor. My friend has come and visited me. I wasn't expecting him. Please, be a good neighbor. Give me three loaves. Finally. Not because they're friends, but because he just wants to get rid of them. He's going to get up and give them as much as he needs. That's kind of a crazy story to give on behalf of Jesus. We're going to come around to this in a couple more weeks with another parable very similar to it. Jesus' point isn't God is so annoyed with you that He'll give you what you've prayed for just to get rid of you. That is not His point. His point is that we as human beings are like this. That we don't want to help one another. We don't want to be bothered. We aren't going to get up. And yet, because of another person's persistence, we will answer. And he's saying to us, be persistent in your prayer to God. Don't just be done with it. You know, it's very easy. (coughs) Excuse me. It's very easy to take certain things, like Jesus talked about the Pharisees who like to give long prayers in public. And the Greeks who like to repeat words, and they thought that by repetition they would get something. It's very easy to take that and to say, okay, I need to not pray very often, and I need not to repeat it. I've told God, God is all knowing, He already knows it, it's a done deal. And he says, No, that's not the way I want you to be. God already knows what you need, yes. But he wants you to be persistent in asking. He wants you to be persistent in requesting His intervention in your life. He wants you to be persistent in seeking His face, that He would glorify Himself in your situation. He wants us to be persistent, to to not just expect. He wants us to be expectant, but not just to expect, but to ask and ask again again. And ask again to be persistent. And and so he says to us in verse 9, he says, So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And, and, And again, this is one of those exaggeration for effect. Because we don't always receive everything we ask for. And we don't necessarily always find what we're looking for. And not every door we knock on is opened. Paul once was walking through. He wanted to go into uh, Asia. And he said every chance he had, the Holy Spirit was blocking him. Blocking him. He wanted to go into Asia. The Holy Spirit was blocking him. Preventing him from going in. And finally, he had a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here so he got up and he went to Macedonia. He ended up in Asia later. But he had to go to Macedonia first and then he came back into Asia. So he was seeking it. It was not happening. He was knocking. It was not opening up. So when Jesus says this, what he is talking about is not that in everything you want, you just ask God and you're going to get it. No, but he's talking about a heart attitude that asks and it's not just a once, but it's a continual, it's a, perp- a, a persistent requesting of God. If you ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. It's, it's, it's the idea of keep at it. Keep working at it. Keep praying. Keep seeking Him. Be persistent in your prayer. So, our prayers should be focused, or should be based on God's glory. We should seek in what way God can intervene in our lives. And we should be persistent about it. And, and here's the last thing. I know I've been doing a lot of three pointers lately, but here's a four pointer for us today. Notice that um, just this word give. I cannot get up and give you anything. And though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask it will be given. It will be given, given, given. The emphasis of prayer is not on receiving, but on God's giving. So often what we do, ask and you will receive. Right? It's, that's, that's what it says here even in, in verse 10. For everyone who asks, receives. That's the only time receive shows up. Overwhelmingly, the focus is on ask and you will be given or He will give. And so the focus, the emphasis is not on receiving, but on God's giving. And, and I know that probably doesn't sound like much of a difference, Right? But there is a big difference because it's, it's the difference of what am I focused on? Am I focused on what I am receiving? Are my eyes down here at what I am receiving? Or are my eyes up there at the one who is giving? Where am I most excited and intent upon? We've all had little kids that we've given gifts to and the kid had to be reminded to thank you, right? And it's fine. They're kids. You don't expect much. You're giving them a gift. They're so overwhelmed by that gift. Mom or dad has to say, well, thank. You know, thank Nana. It's great to get the gift. And and, and as a a loving parent or grandparent, you're giving them a gift. You're not worried about it. You're happy that they're so excited to be receiving it. But it is good. it is healthy for that kid not to be so focused on the gift that they forget the giver, not to be so enthralled with the gift that they don't realize what it cost that that there was value there that it was worth something, and that that somebody gave it to them. The greater focus is not on the gift but the giver, not on receiving, but on the giving and and That is something through this. The prayer is focused on God's glory. The prayer is seeking God's intervention in our lives. The prayer is that we would be persistent in going to God because the emphasis is not on receiving, but on God's giving. And we saw that in the in the last parts of of verses five through ten. And that's also what we see in verses eleven through thirteen. Jesus says, now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? Now he's, he's carrying on a, a, some other thoughts too. He's carrying on this thought of the, the friend who couldn't be bothered to get out of bed, you know, but reluctantly got out of bed because of the man's persistence. Jesus is taking that one step further and saying, look, which of you fathers, if your son asked you for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if you were to ask you for an egg, you'd give him a scorpion? And the answer is an obvious, nobody would do that. Nobody, unfortunately there are probably people in this world in this day and age that are cruel enough, but for the most part, people are not that cruel. That they would give a child something dangerous or deadly in in exchange for the thing that they have requested. And so Jesus brings it home in verse 13. He says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. If you, being evil, you're the type of people that would stay in bed when your neighbor needs you. That he has to shame you out of bed. And that's what that word persistence means. It means shame. That he was acting shamefully. And sometimes that's the way we are. You know, we're not going to help immediately, but if our neighbor is really shameful, we'll, we'll be so embarrassed we're going to help them. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? If you being evil can't be bothered to help people sometimes, but you still know how to give good gifts to your children, And that's the idea that even even what we might consider rotten people or wicked people or selfish people can still do good things for those they love. If we, being evil, can still do good things and give good gifts to our kids, how much more so will our Heavenly Father give good gifts and give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? What Jesus wants us to understand is that it's not in the receiving, it's in the giver, and the giver loves us. His motivation is love. His desire is love. So when we're praying and we're being persistent in our prayer and He's not answering, we need to remember He loves us. And, and the emphasis is not on the receiving, but on God's giving. And if He's not giving, you know, sometimes all we do, all we, oh, I'm not getting this. He's not giving this to me. You know, I'm not receiving what I'm looking for. And sometimes we need to be reminded maybe there's a good reason why the giver isn't giving us something. Because he knows how to give us good gifts. And he's not going to give us a serpent instead of a fish. He knows how to keep from giving us the bad things. We don't know how to keep from asking for bad things. But he knows how to keep from giving us bad things. And so Jesus in, in, in this Christian prayer he wants to, to kind of change our way of looking to God and coming to God. It, it's not about give me, give me, give me. It's not about I need this. It's, it's about looking for what is God's glory in this situation. You know, I, Amy and I, we were very blessed to be able to get a, a new-to-us vehicle recently. And I was driving at home uh, I forget when I was driving it. I forget why or where. You know, it might have been I was in the van when I thought about this thought, to be honest. But I remember I was going through the radio stations, and I was on a station, and it was a fun song from my past, and all of a sudden it hit me. Why am I listening to this song in this vehicle? This vehicle is a gift from God. This song doesn't feel right to be listening to in this vehicle. You know, it's like we don't come to church and sing certain kinds of songs. You might It might be perfectly fine to sing certain songs elsewhere, right? But we don't come in here and sing certain kinds of songs. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those songs. There's a certain type of song we'll sing, right? There's a certain proper setting. What is sufficient for the needs. And I just remember having that thought. God has blessed us with this. Am I honoring Him with this music that I am listening to? And I'm not saying that this is, we're not trying to get legalistic here. I'm just talking about a shift in our view. Do we think about how will God get glory in this? Do you, when you're going through a struggle, that would be a wonderful way to start when you're having a struggle. How can God get glory in this? How can God be glorified in this? And then when you go to pray, don't pray that He would fix it for you necessarily, but that He would intervene, but that He would intervene in such a way that He would be glorified. That that starts to shift. Because sometimes God is glorified by us not getting our answer. Sometimes God is glorified by us not getting our way. Sometimes God is glorified by us not receiving and yet still praising Him and walking with Him. So I encourage us, let's think about how we seek God's face. That we might give Him glory as we seek for what He will give us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You bless us and You provide for us and You give us all that we need. Lord, we recognize and proclaim that You give us abundantly more than we need. And we know it. We pray, Lord, that You would help us to shift our perspective. That we would not be looking at what we want You to do for us. What we will receive from You. But Lord, we pray that that as we seek Your face, we would seek Your glory. Your righteousness, Your holiness, Your kingdom in our lives today. We pray, Lord, that You would help us to seek uh, for Your intervention. And that we wouldn't just stop at once, but that we would be persistent in our prayers, that we wouldn't let go of You. And Lord, we pray that we would keep our eyes on You. It's so easy for us to get distracted by the gifts by those things that you give us lord help us to remember that you are greater and more important than what we seek from your hand we pray lord that in our prayers we would be giving you glory in our lives we pray that we would give you glory we ask these things today in jesus name amen